0: You know, not to sound cliche, but you know that 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 new normal is is going to to emerge. And if, if we are just buying time and treading water, you know, we we feel our our old strategies become as effective as they were, or as relevant as they were. You know, we may continue to tread water until we can no longer, and just continue to start sinking.
1: From Virtuous, I'm Noah Barnett, and this is the Responsive Fundraising Podcast, a show where we talk with fundraising leaders and thinkers to uncover how today's top nonprofits craft remarkable donor experiences and build lasting relationships at scale. On this episode, I'm joined by Ryan Brown. He's the Senior Director of Responder Operations at Food for the Hungry and oversees all the private funding sources that Food for the Hungry receives, including their recurring giving program through child sponsorship, also their acquisition programs, their major donor development, and so much more. Food for the Hungry is leading the way in how they seek to engage donors and really reduce the distance between the donor and the good that they are doing through Food for the Hungry's network of international partners. I'm so thankful for Ryan as he has so much expertise in this space. And we dig into the key questions development staff are asking today in the midst of the uncertainty caused by the global pandemic COVID-19 has left behind. And So I'm grateful to dig in here because these are the questions that we've heard from you and we wanted to run them by Ryan. Let's dive in. So Ryan, today you work in a development role with a large international you know, development and relief organization. But I want to take a step back and really understand like how you got into this role because I think what's unique to fundraisers and specifically those that work in you know, nonprofit, you know, roles at large capacities is that like we each have a unique story as to how we even got into the profession. So I'd love to know, like, how did you get here, Ryan? Yeah,
0: well, thank you, Noah. Um, I think, you know, prior to my time at it, it Food for the Hungry, where I've been now going on, on close to 15 years. I think my career trajectory is one that I best describe as being a little bit schizophrenic. Um, I had had, um, had been engaged in, in kind of a dual career path. One had been a stockbroker. I spent uh, 10 years doing that uh, during some of the most aggressive bull markets in, in, in U.S. history. And there was some, some um, very busy and, and full times there. Um, but then was also involved as uh, in the Christian music industry. Um, I had uh, as a song singer songwriter had recorded a couple of albums and and i they'd been picked up for distribution and was was touring around the United States and also had a small independent record label and did a lot of concert promotion and you know I think through it was really the 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 music side of things that. Um, really connected me i got involved with the one campaign um as as an artist and, and promoting it some of the the events that we, we put together uh, many of you are familiar with the, the one campaign and um an organization put together by uh, bono and others uh to help raise awareness for you know issues of, of debt and the, the staggering burden that it uh the disproportionate burden that it played in in um you know, many countries in, in Africa. And so
1: I think we've all um, been to our fair share of Bono concerts, concerts, if, I'm, if yes, I'm not mistaken. Absolutely. So.
0: Yeah. So we've uh, got engaged there and definitely that, that work resonated with, you know, my, my faith journey. Um, and just, you know, as I read scripture, um, you know, see that um, Christ has a heart and an affinity for 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 those in, in poverty, and so um, you know, as I was you know wrestling with you know aspects of, of career, um, started looking at, at opportunities. Had a, a good friend that was at Food for the Hungry, and you know he knew about the uh, the wrestling that, that I was doing with, and, and kind of figured out ways to, to be more engaged in, in some of these issues. And he invited me to, to look at a position that um, he was vacating in our, our Phoenix office, as, as he was. Uh, heading to um, Asia with, with Food for the Hungry, and so I looked at that position and and through a variety of circumstances, it just looked like it was uh, the, the right opportunity, and so, you know, I didn't necessarily have a, um, you know, non-profit experience directly when, when I came to Food for the Hungry, you know, certainly had a, had a heart for the issues that Food for the Hungry was involved in, and certainly had a, a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit as it relates to um, you know, ways to, to engage, you know, my, my art and passions. And, and so those seem like uh, they, they coalesced in, in an opportunity to to serve with Food for the Hungry. I and mean, over the, the last 15 years, you know, as organs change and organizations change and, and morph at opportunities to step into different roles and uh, just continue to, to grow in my journey there. Yeah. And, and what is your role today at Food for the Hungry, Ryan? So I currently oversee our... Um, We are an institution that works with private funding as well as public funding. So public funding being, you know, those government grants or or multinational type grants and then, uh, you know, private being, you know, individual donors. Uh, We have a large child sponsorship program. We have, uh, you know, major donors as as well as foundations and things. So I oversee the uh, private fund development operations for our organization.
1: Yeah, and I know you and I connected because we both worked with child sponsorship organizations, and that's definitely a component of it. But for others listening, that's very much of a kind of a type of recurring or sustainer giving program that's kind of tied to supporting a child that's a part of a children's programs, but it's still kind of similar to other like monthly giving or sustainer programs for those that are less familiar with it. But I think what's interesting, and I want to take this opportunity because I don't get to dive into this as much with others is like how your team is actually structured because we talk a lot about like today's donor and what today's donor wants but we don't necessarily get into like the operational side of like what how things are structured so I'm curious if you could unpack even just from an example of food for the hungry how are you divided as a team how how do you serve the donor in different ways how maybe do you do it through segmentation what does that look like for food for the hungry
0: yeah so you know that that is honestly is I meet regularly with a lot of other uh, sponsorship organizations and inevitably, you know, as we we are meeting, I, I think we we spend half of our time just trying to get these mo- mental concepts of you know how, how folks are structured because you know everybody um handles it slightly different. Um not even slightly different, actually dramatically different in, in some cases. And so for Food for the Hungry, um you know a lot of the ways that that it is structured now are actually the result of just even some of our of, of our history and where we we've seen growth. Um, you know, we in up till about four or five years ago, um, you know, child sponsorship. We you know, certainly had a child sponsorship program, um, but you know, it's really over the, the last few years that we have just really seen exponential growth within our child sponsorship programs um you know we you know in in all transparency we had issues with child sponsorship where you know we were losing a lot of donors um we had very very high attrition rates um and you know we, we had to, to get in and you know part of that was just you know figuring out the data part of it was figuring out some of the messaging and, and all of those types of things that you know have allowed us to increasingly close the back door on uh the donors that we were losing there and then we also then. Concurrently, started seeing um, more and more opportunities on the acquisition side, and so that uh, you know our child sponsorship program really exploded. Um, you know, and in many ways, there's a, a gentleman I, I know that was um, with Dell Computer during you know the, their heydays, and, and the example that he always gave at the time that he was there is that you know people would see this. You know the, the growth that the organization was experiencing, and say, you know, boy, it, you guys are just a rocket ship, you know, heading to the moon. It, it, you know, it just must be an incredible ride. And you know, he would say that what people didn't recognize is that when you went and opened the doors to that rocket, it was being propelled by a bunch of people on bicycles pedaling really hard and really fast. And so that's very much where Food for the Hungry had had been as an organization. We had seen. A lot of that growth, really quick and, and really fast. Um, we had seen, you know, growth that outpaced our our systems, that outpaced our our processes, and and all of those those different things. So for for us, for you know, during the, the heart of that, um, you know, sponsorship actually was fairly siloed within our private resource um, strategy. You know, the um, and that was the the area that I was uh, focusing on that. We, you know, our, our operations, as well as as well as all of our cultivation, marketing strategies, um, all of those, you know, fell under a, a, you know, under that that scope of authority. So, what we have done over the last couple of years, though, as we have, um, you know, again seen that that growth within sponsorship, we've been been looking to to diffuse that throughout the organization. That you know, we've got you know, wonderful people in our marketing team, Um, you know, ideally we would want those, you know, our our best and brightest, you know, marketing thinkers to be engaged in, you know, how do we, um, you know, cultivate those, those child sponsorship relationships. So, you know, the last couple of years, as far as the ways that we have been structured, you know, we've seen the, the growth in sponsorship and that was very, um, you know, intentionally siloed at the time just because uh, that's what was necessary to, to continue to keep pace with that growth. But, you know, now we're in, in the process where we're trying to, to, to disperse that. So child sponsorship is no longer just a siloed part of our organization, but the entire organization is looking to, to support that at, at different levels. So, um, you know, we like many organizations, you know, continue to be, be in transition and continue to, to figure out how to, to best do that, how to best steward uh, some of those re- relationships. But, you know, for us, you know, child sponsorship was, um, you know, has really been the both the engine and and the fuel for, for a lot of our growth. You know, I mentioned earlier, we do have major donor programs. Um, many of our major donors came to us initially as child sponsors. Um, you know, many of the um, you know even the, the the direct mail programs we we have, uh, you know, our sponsors you know participate in, in those as well. So um, you know, for for us, that that's you know that the uh, the challenge has been continuing to you know, dissipate that ownership sponsorship throughout the organization.
1: Yeah, and I love that you bring that up because a lot of times we, as fundraisers, I know this is how it was when I was working in their national relief nonprofit, similar to Food for the Hungry, was that we like isolate different functions based on how we think about them internally, not necessarily in alignment with how the donor or our supporters might experience them. So we had a similar challenge where sponsorship was managed by one team, child sponsorship was managed by one team, and other fundraising activities, events, trips, all the other kind of functions that we might do, plan giving, were all managed by a completely separate team. So there wasn't this like alignment between how we cultivate that experience. And in some ways, if you were a sponsor and a donor to our organization outside of sponsorship, it was almost felt like two separate experiences. And we had to get to a point where we needed to merge these things. And it sounds like that's similar to what you all have done or are doing. Is that kind of the same pain that you're trying to overcome at Food for the Hungry?
0: Yeah, very, very much so. And, and, you know, thankfully for us, it's it's um, been more so, you know, I think everybody is you know, sees the opportunity. And so, um, you know, many times there's, you know, to, to get people to, to move, there's, um, you know, just getting people on the same page is difficult. Thankfully, you know, our, our, our teams have been on, on similar pages. And, and so it really is, has just been a, a matter of, uh, you know, allowing people to move together through, through strategy, to um, you know figure out how those, those pieces play together, to figure out this, as, as you mentioned, kind of that overarching donor journey that we would have, have in play, you know, from somebody who goes to a, a you know, a concert with, you know, Toby Mac or, or whoever the case may be and and raises their hand to sponsor a child, you know, what, what does that look like 10 years from now? What does that look like uh, 20 years from now? And so, um, you know, that's, it's a lot of work, Um, you know, it does require, um, you know, a a lot of coordination, but it's also a lot of fun. (laughs) You know, it's great to see those, you know, different teams leaning together and, and, um, you know, seeing where there's um, those those opportunities that, that, that emerge that would not be the case if, if we continue to completely operate in those, those uh, functional silos.
1: Yeah, 100%. We saw tremendous growth opportunities once we were able to kind of overcome our own internal friction <laughs> that we had kind of handcuffed ourselves yeah. to. Um, and once we were able to free that, we realized, again, that like donors... To our organization were people they weren't sponsors or donors they're people and we were able to have a more holistic relationship from a donor and organization standpoint as we cultivated those donors um, and i know that there's a lot of parallels here we get a lot of feedback from like arts organizations or others that have kind of this like primary annual funds and the question that comes up which i'd love to kind of get your feedback on ryan Is like okay. Well, we have these annual fund donors, and then we have these like major donors, but they're separate. Like, how does X, Y, and Z strategy apply to annual donors versus major donors? And I'm like, well, aren't they all donors? Like, how do you how do you reconcile that? So, any kind of experiences or feedback you would give to maybe a fundraiser listening? And it's like. Ryan, like that's us right now. We're so segmented based on our own internal categorization, not necessarily a donor's journey. What what feedback might you provide to them to kind of get them unstuck or moving forward?
0: I would probably characterize it a little bit different, even beyond, you know, we, we do have different strategies as it relates to, say, our, our direct mail as opposed to our, our, our sponsorship. So, you know, sponsorship, obviously those recurring gifts, uh, direct mail is, you know, typically um you know, whether or not they they choose to respond to the next invitation to, to give. And so there there is a a, a distinction and, and difference that that happens in, in the messaging there. And then you have you know individuals such as major donors, which are are really kind of a, a hybrid of those those two. So you know obviously if you, you take the um the sponsorship or you know those those continuity donors um you know They've already made that commitment to the organization. And so it's you know, upon us to you know, communicate in a stream that it shows them that that's a good investment, that they're seeing a return on, on those types of things, that there's, there's a satisfaction. People have a joy in giving. Um, people you know, love knowing that, uh, you know, that they've been, been part of a solution, that they've done something that, that's good. And so you know, those need to be the overarching themes involved in that communication stream. You know, for those that are you know part of our direct mail stream, which um, you know are, are needing to, to receive continuous invitations to give, you know, it's a it's a different approach that um, you know we need to to be continuing to um, remind people of the the need to give to to uh, to outline the um you know the the opportunity for them to give and then to again show how. Um, you know, we're a wise choice for, for their gift to, toward, towards that investment. And so, you know, whereas the, the one is, is communicating that the impact, the other is communicating the opportunity. Uh, for many of our major donors, you know, they, they, they really perfectly straddle both of those. Um, you know, there's, there's a, a part of them that, you know, are, if they're sponsors that they're giving regular gifts and, you know, we need to continue to, to show them the impact of that gift. Um, there is also um, then the you know the fact that if if they're not aware or invited to to you know give it in deeper or wider or, or more substantial ways, they won't. And so um, you know again back to you know my my faith journey. There's um, you know in the scriptures you know Jesus tells the, the story of um, you know a master that gives three sums of money to, to three different servants. And, you know, one of those uh, goes out and makes a, a great return on, on that investment was given five gold coins comes back. He's made five more, um, you know, second servant given three gold coins comes back. He's made three more. And the last servant, you know, took that, that money and and, and hit it. And, you know, the, the, the idea that, that Jesus is, is talking about in, in that parable is that, you know, he who has been, <clears throat> You know faithful with with little and has taken what they they've been given and, and shown return on it that that they will be given much those who have not been faithful with little um you know will not be given that that same opportunity and, and you know for me that that sponsorship is a wonderful illustration of 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 that parable that you know if we can uh that thirty eight dollars a month if we can com- communicate impact and show um you know how we are truly able to change a life in a community through through that that regular gift, you know if that's the story and the narrative that um you know donors have, have seen and, and understood about our work when we then you know um, approach them and and then communicate an opportunity or a need um you know that they're much much more likely to participate at, at that level as well so um, you know, it it's really originates in, you know, identifying, you know, who those donors are. Like you said, they're, they're people. Um, you know, by and large, you know, a lot of what, um, you know, the way people are, are wired and the things that, um, you know, connect them are not, not all that different. Um, you know, we, we, we like to, to know that we're doing good. We know that we, we like to know that we're having impact. But the you know the situation of our giving, whether we've already signed up to give a recurring given uh, gift or whether you know we've just given a, a one-time gift, um, you know that circumstance really dictates how uh, people need to be approached and engaged and invited for, to, to participate.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. And I appreciate you kind of showcasing how, how there's that alignment between the various types of or various ways that we engage donors with our organization and how we can you know, build better relationships with them, honestly, by being able to serve them in different ways. One thing that you mentioned earlier is that there's been challenges as you grow on your systems. Were you referring to just kind of like the internal processes? Because one thing we see here on systems is that like systems are actually made up of people, processes, and like platforming, like software, like Virtuous. And so I'm curious if you can talk about that, how you guys approach that um, as you look to scale. Cause that's one thing we talk a lot about is like, how can you, are your systems actually designed to help you scale? And a lot of times they're not, they're actually limiting. And so I'd love for you to even briefly talk about your experience in that and
0: where you guys are at in that journey. Yeah, that very much um, you're, you're exactly uh, right that, you know, that, um, there are the tools, then there, there are, are the processes, you know, the means by which people are are utilizing those tools and, you know, by and large, um, you know, again, I have, we, we all, you know, engage with, with, you know, different organizations and and have opportunities and have, um, you know, heard horror stories from different organizations as well as, you know, heard the the things that, that have gone well and, you know by and large you know it a lot of organizations will 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 tend to fall into a, a fallacy of thinking that they are remarkably unique that um you know therefore their processes you know need to be you know completely different than than all other organizations um and there can be elements of, of truth to that, you know, no, no organizations are the same. Um, we all serve different needs. We all engage different ways. But, you know, what can be a trap as it relates to that, that interplay between tools and between processes is, you know, many organizations will, will tend to try to get the the tool to conform to their process. Um, we'll try to, you know, Utilize the the you know the, the tool uh, in a way that that naturally fits in, in the way that they have just organically um, done things over the years, um, and in many cases end up completely misusing that tool um, or just completely underutilizing the tool. Whereas you know, if as an organization, if we are able to you know recognize the. The you know logic and, and different tool design, and instead try to conform our practices to um to the tools that we're utilizing typically we're going to be much you know much better off um you know if we if we can have that that ability to to pivot in in process um you know that allows you know the the tools you know it, it, they're incredibly bright minds you know on the the, the the bleeding edge of, of technology and 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 engagement and and, and good thinking as far as um, you know the, the the features or the the as far as how, the, how these tools are utilized um, you know why would you not want to take advantage of those uh, why would you not want to have you know processes that that can you know in essence uh, be on that that bleeding edge as, as the tools continue to to evolve and and to refine and to improve. So, you know, that, that's not an easy transition. I mean, it's, it's easy to, to, to to state and it's, it's good to, to hold up as as an ideal or or a philosophy, but so true. Um, you know, the reality is, is that, um, you know, there, there are some of these tools that are so core to our processes and and in many cases, even core to our identity or, or, or strategies that, you know, anytime you, try to change them it, it's you know not the equivalent of just you know a, a tooth extraction or, or things like that you know to, to change out the, these tools um become the the equivalent of an organizational heart transplant but if you do approach it as such and look to to utilize the the tool as designed and, and look to um you know the Recognize that you know perhaps not all of our organizational processes are the sacred cows that we might think they are, and you know willing to to see where we might be able to conform. Uh, you know, typically that, that short term pain, and, and maybe it's not even short term. You know, the, the, those pains can can linger, but you know those those pains work towards a towards a greater good, and so um, you know for for us that's. Um, you know, where, where we've been again, you know, when we saw growth uh, so quickly, there's, you know, the kind of that, that proverbial image of a, of a ma and pa shop that, you know, exploded overnight and, and uh, you know, suddenly we're, we're having to do a, a a lot of different things. And so, you know, processes were were built, not because they were necessarily most strategic or, or best, but just because it that's all there was time to do. And so, you know, um, we as an organization now are are, are increasingly um, you know, continuing that process of of evaluating um, you know uh, constantly looking at you know, different quality improvement processes to see okay are, are there ways that we can improve process um, you know to, to better conform or to better better um, utilize different tools that we, we have available.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of organizations, whether it's for the sake of growth or amidst kind of the current crisis that we're all handling as far as a response to COVID, and that's impacted organizations in so many different ways, uh, we're also having to pivot. So it's not always, you know, for the sake of growth. It's also for the sake of just forced change. Uh, how how have you all navigated yeah. kind of the current moment of crisis? And, and specifically, what advice would you have for others that are kind of leading the development or the individual private uh, funding teams advancement? You know, there's CDOs. What what advice do you have for them to keep top of mind as we continue to emerge from this and really begin to deal with the reality um, that's a result of the crisis?
0: Well, yeah, in the same way that, you know, processes can be, be sacred cows um, at times strategies can be, be sacred cows. And, um, you know, as we were talking with, as I was talking with some of our, our, program folks, as far as, you know, folks in our, our field locations and, you know, um, we obviously, we've got wonderful program that, you know, is having life changing impact, but, you know, there, there are aspects that as they've begun to, to wrestle and recognize that, you know, many of, of the, Frontline staff had, had you know initially been thinking, okay, well, once things return back to normal um you know we'll be able to resume activities as they they were before, but you know not long into this, they began to realize well there there may never actually be a return to normal um that you know not to sound cliche, but you know that 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 new normal um is is going to to emerge and if if we are just you know, buying time and treading water until you know we, we fill our, our old strategies um become as effective as they were or as relevant as they were. Um you know we may continue to tread water until we can no longer and, and just continue to start sinking. Um and so you know for us we've we've really tried to as it related relates to, to fund development um look at everything that you know things that we we had been doing recognizing that you know what that may not be as effective as it as it once was things that we had looked at before and had passed on um, they need to be reevaluated those things may make a lot more sense in, in this this current reality or there may be new things that, that have emerged that that we were we were not aware of at all um, we have you know really tried to focus on you know, first looking to retain our donors um, in in the current crisis. You know, we we all know the the adages that it's easier to, cheaper to retain a donor than it is to to acquire a new one. And so, you know, we've been been looking at at all of those different things that that are necessary to make sure that we are stewarding those donor relationships well so that we can retain them. So that, um, you know, folks know when they, they give their monthly gift or, you know, a substantial gift that they know that it's going to have impact. So that that's the first thing for us is to retain. The, the second then is you're looking okay. How how do we maximize the existing channels that we have? Um, you know, again, we we had um, you know fundraising strategies in place. Some of those um, you know come under fire or become more more uh, challenging in the, the midst of the current crisis. Others. Um, you know perhaps with pivots and messaging or things like that you know become you know much more effective and so you know we we have to recognize okay what what pivots do we need to make what what do we have to accommodate to, to maximize um, opportunity within the existing channels and then lastly um you know we, we have to explore um, you know we have to 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 dedicate bandwidth to to making sure that we're we're looking at the horizon to see, um, you know, not just what's the, the next step in front of us, but you know, what does what does the, the new reality look like? Where where do we need to be making intentional investments right now, um, because of a possible horizon mark that we need to um, you know either be able to um, account for, or just a, a possible horizon that we need to, to maximize the opportunity. So, you know the. the Common refrains that, you know, what we tend to focus on are, again, that that idea of retain, maximize, and explore.
1: Yeah, and those are great reminders because I think those don't go away. You know, those are like first principles of fundraising um, and the challenges we have as fund developers who are looking to build sustainable growth over time. And we need to go back to those. That's something that we've focused a lot on recently is just encouraging our customers and those prospects we interact with to... Remember like, what we're doing and what are the first principles of that and how we engage donors and really connect them with the good that we're doing in the world. So I appreciate that reminder, Ryan. Certainly, yeah. Well, Ryan, this has been really helpful and I know we're running out of time. So I wanted to kind of just get your outtake. Like as someone that's, you know, we just, article just came out by Chronicle of Philanthropy that said giving is down, you know, 25 million or 25 billion dollars in lost revenue and giving in the first half of 2020. Um I feel like we're going to continue to see these headlines. What encouraging thought or kind of point of focus would you would you drive people to that are seeing this and 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 are concerned, you know, they're like how are we going to hit our goals? How are we going to make this happen from a fund development standpoint?
0: Yeah, it's uh you read a, a dozen different articles, and you will get uh, a dozen different experts. Um, you know, talking two dozen different opinions as far as what's going to happen, and so it's you know it isn't impossible to know. Um, you know, it. What we do know is you know some of that that stuff that is in the rearview mirror. You know, first quarter, uh, you know, second quarter, what what has actually occurred, um, and so again, I, I think. We all have to utilize that information and um, use it to, to inform our, our pivots. Uh, you know, there's was some great research by, by Fidelity, um, you know, not too long ago, you know, talking about, um, you know, in the, the philanthropical, um, you know, giving that there were roughly of, of those surveyed you know, in relationship to, to COVID-19 that, you know, 25% of um, donors anticipated that, that they would end up giving more in response to, to the current environment, whereas about 21% said that there was a hesitancy that they felt like that they could very likely end up giving less. And so, you know, just doing that, you know, I know that we've had to, to just, to, you know, again, we, we want to steward every donor relationship. Well, but, you know, we recognize that, you know, some may not be in a position where they, they are able to, to give now, but, you know, are there, um, there are other donors that are willing to, to step up and to, to engage and to, um, to expand their level of giving. So, um, you know, donors tend to, to give to organizations they've given to before, a great opportunity to, to go into, you know, lapsed files. Um, and you know, engage those those segments of donors to um, see again as a at least a name that they have some familiarity with. Um, you know, are we that organization that they if they're looking to to give more in response? Are we an organization that they may consider doing so with? So yeah, um, you know there there are opportunities, and certainly you know even um, I mentioned you know, I'd, I'd been a, a stockbroker and. Um, <laughs> you know, it's both up and down markets, you know, there are, there are opportunities, they're different, they're different strategies. Um, you, you engage them differently, you pursue them differently, uh, but there are, you know, opportunities with, within any uh, type of economic climate. And, and so we just have to, to pivot in those strategies to, to make sure that, again, strategies are, are staying relevant to the current reality.
1: Absolutely. And I think it just puts a stress on all of us um, as leaders of nonprofits, too, to make sure that we're presenting a compelling case for support as well. Not only reaching out, but we have to remember that there's others that are reaching out. And if there are minimal you know, opportunities, how do we make sure that we're just being clear on the opportunity that individuals can have in partnership with you? Um, and I think that's becoming more and more important as we push through. i I've already asked you one hard question, so I won't ask you a second hard question about how do we take, (laughs) what should we do with the stock market right now? Because that's a mess. But uh, we'll (laughs) we'll circle up on a different podcast about the stock market right now. So There we um, go. But Ryan, value the time, appreciate your expertise, and look forward to continue to follow Food for the Hungry's growth and just the impact that you all are having
0: around the world. Great, thank you so much, Noah. I really, really appreciate the the time, and appreciate all you guys are doing to to serve so many organizations so well.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Responsive Fundraising Podcast by Virtuous. Each episode we've designed to really give you the insights into the philosophy, process, and playbook of leading nonprofits so that you can grow giving and build deeper relationships with the people who matter most, your donors. And if you wanna dig further into Responsive Fundraising, we've actually put together an exclusive content pack Just for listeners of this podcast, if you go to virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, that's virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, you can download a content kit that includes the Responsive Fundraising Blueprint, which outlines all of the strategies that are involved in implementing responsive fundraising. You'll also get the Responsive Fundraising Playbook, which includes 20-plus plays, which are basically strategies that you can implement today at your nonprofit to become more responsive and ultimately raise retention and increase giving. We'll also throw in a bunch of other resources and content that is going to be helpful for you as you think about how you're applying responsive fundraising at your nonprofit. And it's completely free. You can grab that at virtuouscrm.com slash podcast.